Normally at this time, because we're going through the book of Hebrews, I tell you to turn to a certain passage in Hebrews. We're going to be going through in, in a semi-series of Hebrews chapter 11, but I don't want you to turn there yet. Um, as I've said before, Hebrews chapter 11 is kind of like the Hall of Fame for faith. I'm a, a football uh, fan. I like college football. I like pro football. And the pro football in, in Canton, Ohio, there is a place designated for those who have been voted as being the best football players in the pro uh, system. Some are obviously deserving. Others people might dis discuss and debate. And there are others who haven't been included yet who may sometime become included, and there's some debate. But it doesn't matter how great a baseball player you are, you're not going to, into the Canton Hall of Fame because it's for football players. Kind of in the same way, uh, we're going to be talking about those who kind of go into the Faith Hall of Fame. But just as in the Football Hall of Fame, not all the football players played the same position. You'll have some who played running back or quarterback or defensive lineman or offensive lineman or safety or one of the positions and they're voted usually because they did an excellent job in those positions. In this Hall of Fame for Faith, I think that the reason the writer of Hebrews uses these various people is that it's various aspects of faith that he wants to emphasize. And so when we go through the various uh, individuals, we're going to emphasize one of the reasons I think they're included in this Hall of Fame. Now, it doesn't mean everybody who's not included doesn't deserve to be there. The writer even says there are many people who, because of time and, and, what, and limited space in the scroll, can't list everybody. And so, and quite frankly, they're Christians who have been exemplary in their faith after the writing of this book, who would, if the writer were updating the book, would say, well, we'll include that person and that person. But I think that there are things that we can learn from these individuals that are included in this Hall of Fame uh, that hopefully can apply to our lives and in our faith. Now, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to include someone else in this Hall of Fame that's um, not included, but I think the writer nor God would be upset with me by including this lady, but uh, I'm going to do that in a few weeks. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, we're going to take a look at one of the earliest, if you will, persons who are now are entered into this Hall of Fame of faith, and his name is Abel. And so in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the, time, in, about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel on his part also brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. I'm going to stop there. So what we have is two brothers 
who are going to worship the Lord. They're coming to bring an offering. Abel brings from his firstlings of the, his flock, and Cain brings some uh, his, his offerings from the fruits of the ground. Now, there's some discussion as to whether Cain's offering, because it was of the fruits of the ground, uh, displeased the Lord. And so you'll have those who say, well, it's an offering. And there are talks about a burnt offering and offerings of, of goats and lambs. And there's offering, also grain offerings and those types of things. And so um, the fact that one is a, a perhaps a blood offering, the other is, is a, a meal offering or grain offering or some type of vegetable offering, that um, that would disqualify. And so there's debate back and forth. The Bible doesn't specifically tell us, us, but it gives us some clues that I want you to look at and to think about and draw your own conclusion to. First, it says that it, that it, it was at, in the course of time. So I think here what we're told is there is a particular worship time that is scheduled. Now, I believe and I think even though we don't see prior to the law about the offerings of atonement and Passover and those things, I think God had instructed Adam and Eve when they had fallen uh, in sin and when he covered them that they understood that there was a substitutionary death required to cover their sins. And as part of that, he gave them clothing. And I thought, and I think he taught them that there was a requirement that they were to give these offerings uh, to him in acknowledgement of their sin and their separation. And so even though it's millennial before the law, I think they are very aware of God's requirements when it comes to offerings, because we'll see much later, for instance, in, with Abraham, that he's frequently building altars and giving sacrifice, and he does burnt offerings. So they're very much aware of the Lord's teaching, even though we haven't been told about it thus far. And so I think that there is some type of time, like in the Jewish calendar, Passover or Day of Atonement or something, that is that time that they're supposed to come and offer worship to the Lord. It's that period of time. And so the argument whether it was should have been a substitutionary death or a meal offering, I'm not sure. I tend to think that part of it is, is that um, since the Lord had taught, it was a particular time, that that's the offering that was expected. But I don't think that's the major problem. The, the second part in, in what the portion of the problem is, it says that Abel brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. Abel brought to the Lord as his offering the best of what he had. He offered to God in faith because it was what God had required, and he gave God the best. Whereas we see that in Cain's offering, it just says, he offered him the fruit of the ground. So I suspect it was just part of his, his offering. It was probably nothing special. And so I think that's 
one of the reasons whether it was acceptable to have two types of offerings or not, I think the fact that Abel was giving the best and Cain gave something. It's kind of like to me, when it comes, if you were during, and, and, and please don't do this, during the time of pastor appreciation, you decide, okay, we're going to invite the pastor over for a meal. Don't do that. But sometimes you think, okay, we're going to do that. And if you, if you brought me over and you had a broccoli casserole, I would pretty much think one of two things. You either don't know me or you don't like me. And I, would be, and I would be sure you didn't like me if you gave me kind of broccoli that was all wilty and, and, and whatever. It's just, well, the pastor came over. We, we offered him something. I can't, I, it's not my problem. He didn't like it. That's kind of what I see Cain. Cain is just offering God something. And that's why the, the so the two things is I think whether it's, a blood offering or a meal offering is acceptable or not. I think it's how they gave it. They gave it knowing God and they gave because Abel loved and had faith in God. He gave the best. Cain just gave something, which is a lot of times what people do in church. People will love the Lord and will give above and beyond and do it because they love the Lord and other people because they're expected to or required or they tip God or whatever they give because that's what they're supposed to do. So I, th I think the offering is significant here, but there's also something more significant because it said that God had no regard for Cain himself. He had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard, which meant that just as much as what you offered, it's who you offer. And because Abel was offering in faith the best of what he had, God regarded that offering and him. But because Cain just did what was expected, but just the minimum of what was expected, God had no regard for him. So whether you think, well, it's okay for the offerings and whatever, the person giving the offerings were different and God recognized that difference. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not, will your, will not your countenance be lifted up? He's going, Cain, you messed up, and that's why you're angry and upset. But if you do what's right, you'll be joyful again. So watch out. And if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Notice God comes to Cain and warns him and tells him, look it. If you do what you're supposed to do, things are going to be well. But if you don't, sin is going to be there and it's going to tempt you because it desires you. 
but you must master it. You see, again, the problem is not so much with the offering, but the offeror. Cain told Abel his brother, which I find interesting that the scriptures tells us that. It, so we assume he tells us this conversation about the offering and his disappointment, but we're not told. My suspicion, in close quotes, my suspicion is that Cain told Abel because he wanted Abel to be like Cain. Have you ever noticed people who don't take God all that seriously always want to tell other people who take God seriously, not take him so seriously? You know, you're, you're, you're being a Jesus freak. You know, people aren't going to like you because you're taking God seriously. They never say, you know, maybe I ought to be like you. And I kind of think that what's happening here is Cain is trying to get Abel to be like him. To just offer God what is minimally required so that he won't look so bad. But I think Abel says no. Why do I think Abel says no? Because it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. You see, if now you're not going to go along with my program and worship the God the way I want you to, then I'm going to get rid of you. Because you're making me look bad. Murder. Can you understand why God had no regard for Cain? Because Cain was willing to murder his own brother. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The question that has gone through the centuries, am I my brother's keeper? Am I required to know what my brother's doing? Which is interesting because Cain knows the truth. He knows that his brother is dead. And he said, being God, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So even in death, Abel speaks. And that is a cry out saying, God, vindicate me. Because if you will, I'm the first martyr. I died because I had faith in you. I trusted you and I followed you. We'll see the same type of thing happening in Revelation where those who have been beheaded are under the altar crying out for God to vindicate them. And God says, wait a minute. We're, we're going to wait until everyone who has been called to suffer as you have to have that fate. And so that crying out, it comes to him from the ground. And he says, now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. He's saying, you used to be a tiller, and the offering you gave me was probably substandard. But because you've done what you've done, even the, even the vocation that you had will no longer be effective. You're now to be a vagrant and a, a wanderer. 
Cain, we see his heart in verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Notice he didn't say, God, forgive me. God, I have sinned. God, is there something that I can do to make atonement and amends for what I have done? No, it's the punishment is too great to bear, which is consistent with the hardness of man's heart. Even in Revelation, we'll see when God comes and does all the various things that he does to tell us he's on his way, men will cry out for the rocks to fall upon to cover them as opposed to repent and seek God. Cain has such a hardness of heart that instead of seeking forgiveness, he seeks to lessen the punishment. Now, if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. So we see in this story that we see about the offerings, that we see that Cain offered it in faith. He did so not because it was a requirement, not because he was expecting to get something in return, but because he did so in faith, because God had said, this is what you're to do, and that will happen. And, God, and Abel did so. He did so in faith. We need to worship in faith. When we make our offerings or we praise the Lord and we do whatever we do, it needs to be in faith. It needs not to be, well, it's Sunday. I showed up because I'm supposed to show up. We do so because we believe when God said, wherever two or three are gathered in his name, there he will be. We never worship alone because God's with us. We worship in faith because he said so. It's not a matter of, well, it's Sunday, it's whatever time, and, and, and I wish the pastor would get over so I'd go to lunch. We, we come to praise him and to be with him and to be with one another and declare as a corporate body who he is and that we're thankful and that he is God. Yes, you can do it by yourself, but we're also called to be together because he didn't say, Wherever one person is hanging out by themselves, I'm there. He says, whenever two or three are gathered in my name. Which means there's probably churches all over this world where God doesn't show up. Because they didn't gather in his name. They just gathered. And he doesn't show up here unless we gather in his name. And we in faith expect his presence. We worship in faith. And notice, by worshiping in faith, even though Abel, the first one to die, who lived a long, long time ago, and even if you count really short some of the people, even if it's only 10,000 years ago, says he still speaks. Would it not be awesome? Would we not want it for our faith to speak after we're gone? 
to speak in our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and our great-great-grandchildren and the people that we've worshiped with and the people that we have assembled with and the people that we've worked with and the people that we have associated with. That we, after we're gone, people say, Remember that Joe Davis? He had faith. He believed God. He wasn't perfect. Lord knows none of us are. But we speak of his faith. Everybody wants to leave a legacy. And most of us think a legacy is either a bunch of land or a bunch of money or a bunch of stock. What about leaving a legacy of faith that your great-great-grandchildren who never met you said, if it weren't for my great-great-grandfather, I wouldn't have the faith that I have now because I stand on his shoulders, because I stood on my grandfather's shoulders, because I stood on my father's shoulders, and because I'm standing on their shoulders, my children will stand on my shoulders, and their children will stand on their children. And so generation after generation, as God said, if for those who are faithful, he will bless thousands of generations. Oh, that we would leave a legacy of faith. And we can start that legacy of faith in our worship. I am convinced one of the reasons many of our young people, after going to college or whatever, leaving the house, leave the church, is because they're convinced we didn't believe it either. Because we act one way at home and a different way at church. We act like St. Paul here and the devil there. They Well, if you're acting two different ways at home and church, maybe it's not real. And let's face it, we're all too two-faced too to want to act the way at church as we do at home. Maybe we ought to act the way we do at church at home. Leaving that kind of legacy. testifying about his gifts through his faith. Though he is dead, he still speaks. Oh, Lord, if we could still speak. And I want you to notice something. If you'll turn uh, in the same book in Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verse 24. And to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. You see, Abel's blood speaks. It spoke that he had faith. It spoke that he was martyred. It spoke to God and it spoke to us. But Jesus's blood is, speaks even better because Jesus' blood causes us to be clean to us to be made righteous. Abel's blood, even though it was one of faith, might inspire us, but does not cleanse us, does not make us righteous. But Jesus' blood states for all eternity that I am a child of God because of what Jesus' blood did and covers me. Another verse I want us to take a look at, 
is in that same book in Hebrews chapter 13, starting with verse 15. Through him, through Jesus. Then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name. Notice it says that we are to continually do it. It's not a matter of while we do it, you know, because today is Sunday and then next Sunday. No, we are to continually offer up the praise of our lips. To praise God. To give him thanks. To but it's through Jesus that we do so. It is through our faith. We worship in faith through faith. A sacrifice of praise to God. Now in our world, that is a sacrifice because we're so narcissistic. We love to talk about ourselves. And we stop talking about ourselves. What we do is we say, you know, I'm, I'm tired of talking about me. So now you talk about me. Because we want to hear about ourselves and how wonderful we are. So God says, no, no, here's the sacrifice. Stop thinking about you and praise me. And for us, that's a big sacrifice. Because we just like, you know, God so loved me so much that, you know, I'm so special. Continually to offer up. So we are in faith to offer yeah, we can mouth words. We can sing the songs. We can do whatever. And we can offer our offerings of praise by sitting and reading the words and saying, you know, I don't like that song. It's kind of slow. I don't like that song. It's kind of fast. You know, you can worship God with Gregorian chants. You can worship God with uh, rap. You can work. We all just have different preferences. And God's always saying, you know, to praise him with the new song. And we tend to like the old ones, you know. But I, I'm, not, I'm not so convinced that God likes a genre of music. He likes the fact that we praise him from the heart. That we mean it. And I think if we were to bust out in Gregorian chants, I think we could actually mean it and worship him. I think we could sing hymns and worship him and mean it. I think we could do pop music that's Christian now and mean it and sing it and rap music, you know, whatever it is, you know, we all have our preferences, but in some way we could say, God, this isn't the style of music I like, but I like you. I love you. I'm worshiping you. And I'll worship you despite what else is going on because I'm going to worship you. A lot of times we get swayed into not really worshiping him because we like the music. Worship him. Continuing to offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips, that is to give thanks to his name. And, that's not all. And, do not neglect doing good. That's part of worship. That's part of sacrificing to the praise of God is to do good. And sharing 
Yeah, but I like to keep my stuff. I'm a little stingy that way. We are to do good and to share. For with such sacrifice, God is pleased. God has regard for those sacrifices. God has regard for those offerings. He is pleased because we are doing so in faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. So when we do what he wants in faith, it pleases him. So how do we worship God in faith? Well, not only do we believe that he is, and it is a reward of those who seek him, but here's another secret. If we love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself without asking, who's my neighbor? Such things God is pleased to share, to do good, to lift up his name in praise. Not because we're required to, but because we love him and we in faith listen to what he wants. And so just as I hope if you were to ask me to come to a pastor's appreciation dinner, you would not make me broccoli casserole. When we're worshiping God, I hope we offer the praises he wants that makes him pleased. And then as a result, that he will have regard for us and our offering. And all God's people said, 